Good morning. Uh, so glad to see you, and I am so glad that I get to be here. It is such a joy to uh, see you all and to be worshiping together as one family. And it is the highlight of my life uh, every single week. I look forward to Sunday worship. Uh, I do worship all the time on my own, uh, sort of solo, work from home, you know, that kind of stuff a lot. And, and when I get to be together with the, the believers, with my brothers and sisters in worship, it, it always just excites me so much. And so I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're joining us online for those that are joining us online. Let's start out this morning by uh, shouting out a little bit. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. May that be the resonance of your heart throughout your week. So we've started this new series called Redefined. Uh, when we come to know Jesus, he, re he redefines it all. He redefines philosophical ideas like the meaning of life and the existence of an afterlife. He redefines practical ideas like how do I live on this planet and, and how do I have uh, interpersonal relationships with people and how do I set goals in my life. He, he, he redefines individual ideas about me. He redefines my identity and my behavior, my, my passions and, and my desires. See, he would, when I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he redefines everything. And that's what this series is about as we look at 1 Peter, the entire book, verse by verse. Last week we saw uh, Pastor Jason, he was showing us that a relationship with Jesus will redefine how we interact with struggles. How when we face difficult things like a, a crying baby or, or a, a missed job opportunity or a death of a loved one, how knowing Jesus redefines those kind of struggles. And, and he introduced us to the idea that the entry point for this re redefined is salvation in Jesus Christ. And so this week we're going to continue talking about how Jesus redefines us, how, how you as an individual is redefined by Jesus, our minds, our hope, our desires, our, our goals, our loves. And so first up, we're going to we're going to jump right into 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're at verse 13. Uh, Pastor Jason left off at verse 12, and we'll be going verse by verse uh, for the next uh, now six weeks after this. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. If you have your app, you can turn to it. And if you uh, have eyes, you can look up on the screens because the verse will be on the screens, just like the lyrics to all the songs always are, right? Oh, no. Tech team on blast. Like, that's passive-aggressive, Pastor. You know, man, you can just talk to them in private. Um, they know how much I love them, and uh, I am so glad I don't have that job. That's way more pressure. This is a much easier job here. I just get to read the Word and tell you about it, and it's good. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so we jump in right into it. Jesus redefining our mindset of where our hope rests. Do you see that? With minds that are fully alert and sober, set your hope somewhere. Prior to Jesus, before you knew Jesus, Hope was found in some really wonderful things. Before Jesus, people put their hope in things like family. A family's wonderful. They, they hope for a great future and a long life and grandkids and that kind of stuff. People put their hope in education. Again, an amazing thing. Get a great degree and I'm going I'm to learn and then I'm going to be able to help people. They, they put their hope in financial success or, or in their, their business ability. 
And, and in the world, this is the greatest thing you can put your hope in, something that's around you. But when you have Jesus, he redefines where your hope is. Those things, they're really great. I'm not saying they're bad. Family is awesome, and, and education and, and financial success is great. But they will always fail as a holder of hope because they are all temporary. See, hope has to be held by something that's, that's bigger than a temporary, that's bigger than the here and now, that's bigger than this world. That's why if your hope is in those things and you attain them, you will always feel short. It will never quite satisfy because those things are not big enough to hold hope. They're not a big enough container that, that our hope needs. That's why hope can only be found in God's grace, we see it here right in the verse. Set our minds on a hope that isn't just for now, a hope that is to come, that Jesus is going to come. See, he talked about grace earlier in this passage. In the, the beginning of 1 Peter, he said, grace be to you in his greeting. And then he said, grace comes to you in salvation. And he talks about grace that was talked about in the prophets of old. So grace in the past, grace for the present. And here he says, grace is for the future. Then this idea is that we need to have grace in this big, huge idea. Our hope has to rest in something bigger than ourselves, in our temporary or in our lives or this world. Our hope has to lie outside of that. And that's what Jesus brings. Jesus, knowing the God of the universe, knowing that he loves us, grace is all about God's care for you, his lean towards you, his love for you. Knowing that reality, that God is interested in us, that this life is merely the beginning of our journey, not the end of our journey. That we are at the starting line. That allows us to have a, a container that's big enough to hold our hope. The idea that, that, that there is an afterlife and God loves you and he longs to be with you and he set it up so you can live with him eternally. Now that's a big enough hope because it doesn't end. It doesn't stop. It's not finite, rather it's infinite. And it says in this verse that you have to have minds that are sober and alert. The, the idea of that idiom is, is to, we use a phrase in, in English, to roll up your sleeves, right? So this is that kind of idea. It's, it's this idea of getting ready to ha have and to handle this huge hope. You need to prepare your mind mentally to grab hold of it because you control what you think about. So set your mind on grace. So Jesus redefines our mind's direction. He's saying, you got to set your mind on something big. It can't be the things here. It can't just be the temporary, but it's got to be something large. Redefining, it's a supernatural work, but it also requires our participation. It's not simply, it's not simply something done to us. It's something that is done with us as we participate in the process. So we have grace, 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 grace all throughout this passage from 1 Peter 1 through 13 here. The only reason we reap the benefits promised by hope is because of God's unmerited favor towards us. The only reason we get it is because God says, I love you, I care about you, I, I want you to have this hope, and I give it to you, but you got to take hold of it. You can give all the gifts you want, but if the person doesn't receive them, they don't got the gift. 
And he says, you got to set your mind on this and, and make this your priority. Roll up your sleeves and grab onto this hope that's waiting for every single one of you. Grace for our past. That he forgives us for the messes up that we did in our, in our past. Grace for our present as we live each moment standing in his favor. And then here, grace for our future, knowing that we have something eternal to look forward to, to hope in. Grace from Jesus is God's mechanism for redefining us, knowing that he loves us, changes us, redefines us. See in our next verse how Jesus redefines our desires. In, in verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. God wrote that about himself. So this, this verse is a perfect representation of our series. Things were one way before we knew Christ, but now things have changed. They've been redefined. So you see that here. Before you used to be this way, but now you're this way. In Jesus, we're not strangers or enemies of God. What does he call us? When we have Jesus, we are called obedient children of God. Our position has been redefined. Prior to knowing Jesus, I was an enemy. Now I know Jesus, I am a, not just a friend, but I am a son or a daughter of God. I'm a child of God. He redefines our position. And from there, our redefined position, he starts to change our internal desires. He starts to redefine the things that we're going after internally. Some of the things we thought were fun or, or interesting or advantageous before we knew Jesus are now detrimental to our spiritual lives, and we start to avoid those things. We don't conform any longer to the evil desires that we had before we knew Jesus. Now, I know you see evil desires, and I don't know about you, but evil desires, they sound so evil, right? Like, like <laughs> that Dr. Evil guy, like, read evil desires, and, and you're tempted to say, well, I, that's not me. I don't have evil desires. I'm not trying to kill people or, like, kidnap people. I mean, hopefully you're not trying to do that, but... Uh, so evil desires, it, it is killing people, but it but isn't only killing people. That's like the most extreme of what an evil desire would be. And I, and I think those are evil desires to kill people and that sort of stuff, but, but that's to use evil in its most extreme sense. What if God defines evil as serving myself um, in order to get ahead in life? Well, I, I've done that. What if there's a Bible passage that says something like, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil? Well, I got that one too. Or the fact that placing anything above God is an idol, even if that something is good. Well, I, I think I've placed some things even that are good ahead of God. Got that one. So maybe you've put your education before God. Maybe you put your, your kids before God. Kids are great. Education's great. I'm saying that. But, but if you put anything above God or ahead of God, then that's idol worship, and God calls it evil. So something that, that is good, we can turn to evil if we prioritize it ahead of God or, or our spouse or our job or our education or our car or our family or our house or whatever it is. And, and I would say I, I have that one too, the evil of idolatry. And so when he says, like, don't conform to the evil desires that you used to have, it's not just, well, I never had desires to kill people. Yeah, but, but I do have 
sometimes envy when I look at someone else's car and I have, and I have you know, uh, mistakes that I make in, internally and sometimes I revert back to being a jerk to people and, and so I, I do have those kind of things. And he says, now that your position is redefined, let that position change how you inter- internally act and, and the thing you desire. No longer desiring evil things, but rather desire good things. Now I desire mercy. I desire to show love to people. I desire to care about others. I desire to, to put myself last rather than first. Fulfilling God's call to holiness requires that we, as obedient children, break off that old lifestyle and thinking that we had in our ignorance. Ignorance is just thinking that sin is good or profitable. Then it may be momentarily profitable or good, but, but it's always, it always fails in the long run, sin and, and things that aren't of God. So our desires are being redefined just as our position is redefined. And again, we're not called to... Um, just passively receive it. We're called to actively take hold of it. We're, we're part and parcel of this. So, for example, when my first baby was born, I became a, positionally, I became a father for the first time. I'd never been one, first baby born. Now I'm a father. Now, positionally, I was redefined, yet I didn't know anything about being a father. I, it was still up to me to actualize the title, Right? You could have a baby and then never do any fathering, and I'm not sure you're actually a father. If you skip out on your kids and you never talk to them and you didn't do anything for them. But it was up to me to actualize the title of being a father, to fulfill the role of a father, to guide and to care for, to provide, to love and to protect, as a father does. I had to learn a whole bunch of new things once I had a new position. I had to learn to change diapers. I'd never changed diapers. I'd never cleaned vomit or uh, diarrhea off of myself and the floor, and I had to when I had a kid. And um, I realized that you can never leave a baby alone. They can't just like, be by themselves. Like, you, they need constant attention. Turns out it's, it's bad to shake a baby, too. Like, who knew? Like, I had to learn all this kind of stuff. Like, my life completely changed. The way that I interacted with this human being changed because my position changed. And that's exactly how it happens for us in Christ. When, when we're redefined in our position as obedient children, first things first, I become God's kid, forgiven and, and free in his grace. And once I am, then my desires start to change because I want to actualize the title that he's given me. Just like in fatherhood I had to do with my own kid. So that's true spiritually as well. I'm not a passive captive to being redefined. I'm actually an active participant in my own redefinition through, through God and his grace and goodness. Additionally to, to internal desires and, and our mindset, Jesus redefines our life goals. See it in the next verse. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So he redefines our big life goals. So if I know that God will look at my work, if I know that God will look at my life and my actions while I'm on this planet, then I'm going to strive to do things different. If I think this verse is true, and God says, and, and I believe that God is going to look at my work impartially and say, I'm going to look at your work, well, it changes how I do my work. If you know the boss is coming tomorrow, 
What do you do? You clean your desk. You put some good stuff up that looks like work that you're doing. You, you know, you're like, uh, I remember when I used to be a teacher and then uh, luckily our administrator would say like, oh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to observe your class. Do you know how good class was that day? It wasn't a worksheet. It wasn't another video. You know, that was like five minutes. Here's your breakout time, guys. Oh, you're doing great. You're fantastic. Let me come to a kneel by their desk, tell them how good they're doing, you know. Let's do something exciting. Everybody up and boom, move around. And then, okay, here's our point. Who knows the point for today? Excellent. Here's a prize, you know. And then, blah, 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 and then, then there's a closing. And then it's the whole thing, right? Next day, what is it? Worksheet again. I'm trying to... Catch up on my Instagram. I'll need to chill, kids. <laughs> we had a good day yesterday. That's it. When the boss is there, you know, like you work different, right? And the same is true. Like if I know God is going to look at my work, if I'm going to work differently. If I know God is saying, like, what'd you do while you're on the planet? I'm like, oh, a bunch of worksheets, you know? No, <laughs> like I, I'm going to. I'm not going to do a bunch of worksheets. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to, I'm going to try a little harder. I'm going to be a little more creative. I'm going to use the gifts that he gives me the best that I can. So he redefines how I, how I go about my work, how I go about my life goals, if I know God is going to come and judge my life's work. I'll work at things that have kingdom value, not just personal satisfaction. I'll work at things that honor God, not just to honor me. Now, the world has all sorts of ideas about what you're worth. And social media and that kind of stuff tries to define you, especially if you're a young person, you take that stuff real seriously. The world tries to, re to, to define who you are and what your value is and what your worth is. And, and sometimes we try to define it ourselves. What am I worth? Or, or maybe you think, I'm no good, or you have those kind of thoughts. Like, I'm not worth anything at all. But, but look clearly at our passage. And, and our passage tells us that God redefines our worth. The world defines you one way, and maybe you define yourself one way, but God redefines your worth. He defines your true value by what he was willing to pay to redeem you. We've said this before. Your value is based in God's eyes on what he's willing to pay to get you. How much did you cost? Peter here spoke in reference to the completely sinless character of Jesus, without blemish, without spot, better than the priciest gold. He says, you weren't bought with something cheap like gold. Cheap like gold. You know, like gold's like $1,800 an ounce. An ounce is like, just that. He's like, that's not, you weren't bought with cheap stuff like that. That's not your value. Your value is the precious blood of Christ without blemish, without spot, who's God in human form. That's what you're worth. That's what I'm willing to pay to get you. Jesus' blood was the price for you, and God determined that you were worth the cost. He saw you. He looked you up and down. He knew you inside and out. And he said, she's worth it. I'd give anything for her. That's your value. Don't listen to what the world tells you your value is. Don't listen to what, what yourself, who Satan influences your own thoughts, that you're no good, you're not valuable, you're not this. Hear what God says your value is. And when we hear that, it changes our life. It changes our life goals. The high call for godly living that we saw earlier 
it starts to make sense in light of the price that was paid for your redemption. The precious blood of Jesus did not save you so that you could live as if you were garbage. He didn't save you so you could live as a person that feels like garbage or lives like garbage. God says you're not garbage anymore. You're priceless. You're my treasure. He redefines your worth by demonstrating what price he would pay to get you. Here's more about the credentials of the one who saved us in the next couple of verses. He, being Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So God knew that he was willing to do anything to get you before humanity was created. Listen carefully. Before he created humanity, he knew what was going to happen. God knows all things. God knew about the fall of man. God knew about the evil that would come about. God knew about the broken world. He knew about every single one of your flaws and my flaw. He knew it all. And yet he said, I'm still going to make it because I still think they're worth it. He knew that he was going to have to die for his own creation. And yet he said, I'm going to do it because I love them already, even though they haven't been made. I'm going to do it because they're worth it. And that's where we place our hope and our faith in God. Because he, he knew all about you. He knows every bit that you're going to do, all that you've done. He knows more about you than you know about you. He knows what's going to happen in five years to you. He knows where your mind's going to be. And he says, you're still worth it. You're still valuable to me. So don't listen to the enemy and that kind of stuff. It's Jesus we listen to. Jesus works hand in hand with God's word to help us redefine our loves. Remember in John, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Keep that in mind. That, that word became flesh, and it was Jesus. Keep that in mind as we look at this passage. Pretty interesting. In our next couple of verses. Now, that you've been pure, uh, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Hmm. For all people are like grass and their glory is like a flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Hmm, are we just talking about the Bible or even something more? The word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. See, Jesus and the word, they're, they're both yes and, right? Jesus is the word, and then we read the word, and the word changes us. Jesus changes us. Jesus lasts forever. Jesus is the one working inside of us. And he's working inside of us to redefine our loves. You see that right at the beginning there? He gives a direction for our love. Knowing Jesus requires that we love one another. It's no longer a matter of my personal preference. Like, eh, I don't really like them that much. <laughs> like, you know, they, they come to church, but they kind of bug a little bit. Or, or maybe they, that, that person gets on my nerves, and I kind of don't want to be around them. It is no longer up to me. It re, Jesus, said, and, and knowing him, redefines my love. He says, no, you're commanded to love your brother deeply. That's a command. You've you, you got to love your brother deeply. He calls us to love no matter what. Not to be held captive to our capricious emotions. Like, I just don't feel them. I don't feel like that right now. 
But God says it doesn't matter how you feel. I'm calling you to love deeply and redefine relationships based on committed love, not a temporary feeling. That's why in the church, if we have a problem with one another, we go and face it. We talk to each other and we, and we pray about it and then we fix it and we work on it. Don't just think, oh, I hate them, I don't want to be around them, something like that. Because God calls us to love deeply. Holy living is incomplete if it isn't accompanied by love. I, I hope no one can ever look at our church or, or our lives and say, well, yeah, they don't really, they're not really nice, they don't really love people so much, or, or that community, they kind of like feel distant or separate. If, if that's happening, then we're, we're not Christianing right. <laughs> we're not obeying Jesus correctly. You will be known for your deep love for one another. That's how you'll be known as a believer. And if, if you need more love towards others, maybe you find yourself on the short end of the love scale. Like, oh, there's a lot of people I don't love around here. You're looking, slyly looking left and right. It can't be too obvious. But If you don't feel that sort of love or feel that sort of way, I think the remedy is here. He says that, that means you need to be in the Word a little bit more. Allow the Word to transform you. Allow Jesus to transform you. Jesus even in the Word of God as well. The imperishable seed set in our heart that will allow us to grow, return to that or return back to that if you've been a believer for some time. This idea is expanded in our, in our last verse here. It says, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Just like newborn babies, they crave pure spiritual milks so that, that, that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here he's saying the old way versus the new way. Living a new, redefined reality. Ridding yourself of, of malice and deceit, envy, and all that negative stuff from the old you and starting fresh like a baby to grow in a new reality through the pure spiritual milk of the Word. I wonder the, about the fragile condition of so many individual Christians' lives. And sometimes maybe even of like congregation lives, the spiritual fragility that's there. I think it can often be traced back to a lack of pure spiritual milk or God's word. If we have strayed away from being in God's word, if, if we're not both individually and corporately involved in, in God's word, then, then we can never become the things that he wants us to be. We can never be strong and healthy like he wants us to be. And so today God is reminding us some of us who've been Christians maybe for many years, to return back to his word, which, which is the thing that redefines us. His word, his grace, Jesus, redefining us. The word is necessary for, for Christians to grow, um, and without it, we can't grow. So I, I want to encourage you, we're in 1 Peter for the next six weeks. 1 Peter is about five chapters. And uh, I played it with the James Earl Jones voice uh, on my Bible app, you know, the if you may grow up in your salvation. And it takes about 15 minutes to listen to the whole book, uh, the whole book of First Peter. So I want to encourage you to try, to try to go through the entire book of First Peter once a week for the next six weeks. So you'll have read it six times. So you can read it physically. I, I read faster than I listen, so I, I always read it. Um, but I want to encourage you to, to take the Bible seriously and say, like, we need to return to the Word. We need to be back in the spiritual milk so that we can become strong and, and actualize this redefinition that God's calling us to. And so I want to encourage you to try to do that. 
maybe you have a devotional time, maybe you don't, you know, between you and the Lord. And, and I want to encourage you, if you have a devotional time, add this to it. It'll be about 15 minutes to listen to if you're listening to it. You could go two times and then he'll say, that you may grow up with yourself. I said, that you may teach the word. It'll be a little, not, you know. Maybe, I don't know how the two time work with James Earl, but whether you like to listen or read, I want to encourage you, the whole book. Not just the chapter, the whole thing. And then you're going to start to realize what we're talking about, and it's going to make so much more sense. And, and I think there'll be a depth to it in the next six weeks as you come to it, if you've, if you've listened over and over, and, and it's starting to soak into you, and it's starting to build deeply down into you as we look at the Word together. So I want to encourage you to try to do that. Um, the book of First Peter, once a week, six weeks. Whew, that's a lot of Christian stuff, I know. I believe in you. you know, I think you got this. Especially if we want to actualize. Do you want to be a good father or a bad father? you want to be a good mom or a... you got a new position. God's already called you his children. It, it, that, that's what you are. Do you want to be a good kid or a bad kid? You, know, you, want to be a, you want to be a good parent or a bad parent? You want to be a, a good worker or a bad worker? You want, to, you want to have goals that honor him or goals that don't? Let, let, let's get back into the Word a little bit together and see the richness that comes from Jesus. I think when you do this, you're going to find these three things as you, as you look through First Peter. You're going to find that Jesus is the source and the cause of our redefined. You're going to see that in First Peter. You're going to see that we participate actively following God as he redefines us. And you're going to see that, that his word is the power-up. It's like the, the juice boost that's needed to continue to be redefined. So look, I, I know that's a lot today. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's like 10 things, but... Maybe you don't need all of them, but I think we all need some of them. And I, I think God wants to do something in your life. And so I, I know we're all at different points in our redefined. Some of us have been being redefined for four to five decades. <laughs> some of us have been being redefined for four to five minutes. Maybe it just started today. Maybe it just finally made sense. You're like, oh man, I need to be redefined by God. I need to start to make some changes. I need to set my mind on. I need to take hold of. I need to drink in. But I think either way, whether you're just at the beginning of your journey or you've been five decades into your journey, I think both places are an exciting place to be. Both places offer this like exciting moment right now. Isn't that weird that someone with 50 years being a Christian and someone five minutes being Christian can sit in the same service and say, God, would you redefine me right now? God, I'm not dead, so you're not done. God, would you shape me still? Man, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I need reshaping and then I flop to the side and I need him to shake me back up and I need to be redefined again today. God is redefining us. He's redefining our future. And he is our redefined hope. Would you stand with me and we're going to worship him and close the service together.